0: So this is, we're going to do this series, and this is week two, where we were looking at, and, and as a, I lost the USB stick uh, with last week's podcast, but I found it again in these jeans. So I think I wear these jeans every Sunday, it turns out, and um, thankfully they haven't been washed since, and so... Uh, so. So uh, you'll be getting two podcasts this week, one of last week's sermon and one of this week's sermon. So if you missed last week, I'd love you to have listened, particularly if you call this church home, because this is a very important series for us. Again, in terms of the journey that we've taken, we launched the church about 12 weeks ago or something now. The first kind of series we did after we went through Easter was to look at Acts 242, what did the early church devote themselves to? And now we're looking at some of the things I believe that God wants to have as values and as culture. Um, some of the flavors, as I was saying last week, that he wants to bring out of our church. But because actually the more that we've kind of explored this, I think these are things that are actually part of the Bayes culture that God wants to emphasize and celebrate. There's a grace on this region for certain things. So we're going to be looking at joy, peace, and depth. And uh, in the second uh, sermon of the series, we're going to continue to look at uh, this whole topic of what does it look like for us to have a culture of joy and to be a people of joy. And again, if you missed out last week and uh, and you're like, oh no, please Lord, not a joy sermon, I'm not in the right place for a joy sermon. I'd love you to listen to last week's sermon because that was more about the, how do we respond personally, particularly if we're going through some tough times or, you know, we, as mentioned last week, we've got some depression in our family line, so I've had to really keep my eye on that. But what does it look like in the midst of life's tough circumstances to be a person that carries joy, the joy of the Lord? And what does it mean for that to be our strength? What I want to do this morning is I want to uh, wade through the Old Testament And look at how God throughout the Scriptures has designed His people, He's built a culture of joy within His people from the very beginning. It was always God's heart that His people would be a people of celebration and joy. And so we're going to uh, rip through some Scriptures. We've got got them on the slide, so this uh, will save you having to rummage through your um, iPad or your phone or your Bible or your scroll or whatever you use these days to read your Bible um, but let's start in Exodus 23. And Sorry, just quick asterisk here. Um, who heard Steve Graham's talk on the Friday night at, uh, at Equippers with Piramai? Hands up, nice and high. Okay. Um, so this is, Steve spoke, a lot of what I'm saying this morning is kind of another component of that whole banquet talk that he gave at that night, which again is on our um, secret Facebook group, if you want to have a look at that. So a lot of this is drawn from Steve Graham, another Steve Graham lecture, full disclosure so you know kind of where this is going to be like, oh man, Sam Harvey's getting clever. No, I'm just stealing all Steve Graham stuff and, you know, pretending it's mine. okay? So anyway, so let's start with Exodus 23. So Jesus says to the Israelite people very early on as they come out of slavery, he says this, three times a year, you are to celebrate a festival to me. So the Israelites come out of slavery, they come out of pain, they come out of brokenness, he leads them into the desert, and in the desert he begins to shape the Israelite nation into the sort of culture he wants his people to be. And so the first thing he does is like, here's three festivals I want you to have. Now these are in inverted commas religious festivals. But the problem with saying religious festivals is that immediately we think, oh no, like it's going to be just liturgy and you know and boredom for however long these blinken festivals have to go for. And nothing could be further from the truth. God is saying, I want you to celebrate these festivals three times a year and really at the culture of Israel was was meant to be one of celebration and joy. He defines these three festivals in Deuteronomy 16. He says, Three times a year, all your men must appear before the Lord your God at the place He will choose, at the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of Weeks, and the Feast of Tabernacles. So here's the thing. So three times a year, you've got to down your tools and you're going to come to a place I'm going to show you, and I want you to party. I want you to celebrate. It's the law. You've got to party and celebrate, okay? Let me unpack this a little bit more. Uh, in Deuteronomy 12, verse 7, There in the presence of the Lord your God, you and your family shall eat and shall rejoice in everything you've put your hand to, because the Lord your God has blessed you. In Deuteronomy 12:18. Instead you are to eat them in the presence of the Lord your God, at the place the Lord your God will choose, and you are to rejoice before the Lord your God in everything you put your hand to. So he sets up these festivals where three times a year they're to down tools and they're to eat and drink. Come on. Like that's their number one job. I want you to eat and drink. Not only that, but it's interesting that Uh, we'll, we'll see this a little bit in a second in Deuteronomy, but what he wanted them to do is to, over the course of a year, to set aside a tenth of what they produced and then to consume that in these festivals. So a lot of people have manipulated this tithing thing to go, you know, you've got to give it to the church. Now, I'm I'm not into that personally. I think 10% is a pretty low bar for some of you. You should hit other percentages. And for some of you, 1% is going to really stretch you. So let's get rid of that silly stuff because that's not what God's setting up here. What God is setting up here is I want you to set aside a tenth of what you produce and then I want you to have a massive party three times a year. How cool is that? So he sets this whole structure up. Which isn't a bad thought in terms of like, you know, God wants us to celebrate well. So saving for some good holidays a couple of times a year is a very biblical thing to do. How cool is that? He wants us to have a celebration. Not only that, but he institutes within that the Sabbath. Now I'm going to do a whole sermon on this soon. But he's basically saying you're so used to working seven days a week and you're so used to being a slave that I want you to have a day where you rest well. And it's, and it's punishable by death if you don't. <laughs> some of us need that. Some of us need to, like, we're, we are, you know, here, and there's a quick side note. If you can't stop, you're still a slave. And God came us to free us from slavery. So if you can't rest for a day a week and celebrate and just relax and rest and worship, then there's some brokenness in you that God wants to heal. whole separate sermon. But so, so, not only that, so Jesus, is, so God turns up to the It's like, okay, I want you to have these three parties a year, and every single week I want you just to chill, otherwise, I'm going to kill you, just asterisks. But this is the rules. How good does that sound? Oh, you know, we live in such a frenetic, frantic world, and God from the start is like, I want you to be a people that can rest well and celebrate well. Let's continue. Deuteronomy 14, here we go. Be sure to set aside a tenth of all that your fields produce each year. Eat the tithe. There it is. Eat the tithe of your grain, new wine and oil, and the firstborn of your herds and flocks in the presence of the Lord your God at the place he'll show you, so that you may learn to revere the Lord your God always. Use the silver, this is the tenth again of what you've earned, to buy whatever you like. There's a few women like, Breach it, brother, (laughs) whatever we like. Cattle, sheep, or wine, or other fermented drink. (laughs) Yes, or anything you wish. Then you and your household shall eat there in the presence of the Lord your God and rejoice. Blow a tenth of your income on this party for seven days. How good is that? Deuteronomy 16. Celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles for seven days after you have gathered the produce of your threshing floor and your wine place. Be joyful at your feast. You, your sons and daughters, your men and servants and maid servants, and the Levites and the aliens, E.T. can have a party, that's good. The fatherless and the widows who live in the towns, for seven days celebrate the feast of the Lord, your God, a place the Lord will show you your cheese. So the Lord will bless you in all your harvest and all the work of your hands and your joy will be complete. Again, what this is saying, this isn't just a party for the wealthy. This isn't just a party for those that have the means to to be able to celebrate. This is a party for everyone. Everyone gets to play. Everyone gets to celebrate in these regular feasts that were central to the culture of the Israelite nation. Leviticus 23. So beginning the 15th day of the seventh month after you have gathered the crops of the land, celebrate the festival to the Lord your God for seven days. The first day is a day of rest, and the eighth day is also a day of rest. I love it. So God's like, just so that you can celebrate well, what we're going to do is the first day is just a rest day. You don't have to party. Just chill like you've been working hard. Just relax. And then you've got to party hard for the next six days. And then on the eighth day, you've got to recover from the party and just chill out so then you can go back to work not completely hammered from your party, okay? Now, not debaucherous drinking too much party. Filled with joy and life and celebration party, in the presence of God, who's stoked out that you're stoked out, who has commanded you in these verses to rejoice, to celebrate. This is the law. 2 Chronicles 30. The Israelites who were present in Jerusalem celebrated the feast of unleavened bread for seven days with great rejoicing. While the Levites and priests sang to the Lord every day, accompanied by the Lord's instruments of praise, Hezekiah spoke encouragingly to all the Levites who showed good understanding of the service of the Lord. For seven days they ate their assigned portion and offered fellowship offerings and praised the Lord, the God of their fathers. Food and celebration and rest, these were at the heart of what God was trying to build in the culture of Israel. It's really interesting in that 2 Chronicles passage that as they celebrate, the people were having such a good time. If you continue to read 2 Chronicles 30, they come to Hezekiah and they'll have a bit of a committee meeting and they decide that they're going to continue to party for another seven days. Literally, it's in the text. So it's like, we're having a great time. there has been a, one of the best parties ever. Let's just continue on for a bit longer and everyone's in agreement. Yes, let's continue to party on. Party on, Wayne. All right, party on, God. it's awesome. So they continue to party on. This is all throughout the Old Testament Uh, Story of the Israelite culture that they were called to be a people who could celebrate and who could rest. But get this, in the presence of God. Now some of us need some healing because we've associated the presence of God with, I don't know, some kind of heavy vibe or something. I think we've forgotten that He loves to see us celebrate and to party. Uh, When I was growing up, Thankfully, uh, I grew up in a, a great church with a great youth group, and so I had some great Christian friends, and every New Year's, we would go to Riversdale Beach, and uh, just out of Masterton, an hour out of Masterton, and we would all camp together and do New Year's together. Now, New Year's, when you're a young Christian, is an interesting time, because the two options are you either overindulge yourself and then have a few regrets and uh, things that you wish you hadn't done on January 1 or 2, uh, or you walk the narrow road and watch everyone else have a good time and just be like, oh, it sucks to be a Christian, right? <laughs> Am I right? I mean, that's pretty much your two options for a young person for New Year's. So we were like, you know what, we're not going to have a lame New Year's, we're going to have the best New Year's. In fact, you know, some of our, my friends are here today that can witness to these moments. So we would go to Riversdale Beach with a whole year after year, whole tribe of us, now, as far as I'm aware, because I was the pastor of many of these people, most of them didn't drink a drop on New Year's Eve. And we would, um, we would get our guitars out and we would worship in the New Year. But also then we would just party, like we would just crank out the covers and we would just have this, the best time ever. And what I loved about it is it trained us to not separate the presence of God from seasons of celebration and joy. And we woke up on January 1 feeling like a million dollars. We had had as much fun, if not more fun, than anyone else around us. We had no regrets, and we had worshipped our Lord and Saviour as young people as the new year began. It was just off the chain. It was Honestly, it was so life-giving and so good. And what God wants to do in us as Bay Vineyard is He wants to teach us to be a people of celebration in the presence of God. That he's the God of celebration. He's the God of joy. He wants to bring us to life in him. One of the most beautiful moments of um, praise and and, uh, and just undignified joy in the presence of God is King David when the Ark of the Covenant returns to the people of Israel. Now, the people of Israel um, had gone through all sorts of bad, they made bad choices. And the Ark of the Covenant had been stolen from them. Now, we... Today, because of what Jesus has done on the cross, can enter into the presence of God freely. We can, he's, just, he's omnipresent and we can come into His holy presence. Before the cross, there were these hot spots of God's presence where His glory dwelt. And the Ark of the Covenant was the hot spot, the center where God's presence dwelt. So what some of us can feel in the room this morning, that sense of God's presence here, they couldn't feel that unless they got close to either the, um, the temple or to the tabernacle because that's where the Ark of the Covenant dwelt. So when the Ark of the Covenant returns to the Israelite people, David is absolutely overjoyed because he loved the presence of God. Ever since a young child, he had just been worshiping God. He loved his presence. And when the Ark had gone and been taken away, there was a void in David's life. And he longed for its return. And finally it returns, and, uh, and we can see what happens here. Now you've got to remember that David is the king of Israel. So this is a person who's the most powerful person in Israel. He's the most respected person in Israel. Like, he is a big deal. He's Jacinda Ardern. He's, you know, without, you know, being a dude, you know. uh, He's whatever. He's, He's like the equivalent to the queen. Like, he's a huge deal. And so this is what he does when the Ark of the Covenant returns. As they... As the Ark of the Covenant returns to the people of God, they worship him by sacrificing these bulls and fattened calf. Now that can seem odd to us today, but at the heart of worship there has always been this idea of Sacrifice. I give my life to you, Lord. What we did in song, we're invited to, it's simply meant to be an overflow of a life of worship, where we live as living sacrifices for God. We were all his, we're all in. And so as the Ark of the Covenant returns, they worship him by sacrificing these animals. And wearing a linen ephod, modern translation, undies, David danced before the Lord with all of his might. And as they're bringing up the Ark of the Covenant, there's the, the shouting and there's the sound of trumpets. Can you try and imagine this? And it's like, yes, he's returned. And David's just dancing and with all of his might before the Lord. But then there's Michael, the daughter of Saul, watching from the window as this takes place. And she saw David leaping and dancing before the Lord and she despised him with all of her heart. Now this happens to, for many of us and if not most of us. Where we can see somebody... Who's more free than we are in the presence of God, and we can despise them in our own hearts. We can be like, oh, that's a bit much. Oh, that's a bit undignified. Oh, tone it down a click, won't you? You know? I've been that guy many times because I'm not a chandelier swinger. Um, My mum is, she's all over it, hey Kari, you know. She's all over that chandelier. Uh, I'm more lean towards my dad's side, which is slightly more reserved and academic in our approach to Jesus. Uh, And so there have been times when I'm like, oh, mum, dial it down and click, that's a bit much, you know. Um, And this sense of despising, you can despise people in in your hearts because of the freedom they have in God, when it's actually not their issue, it's your issue in the presence of God. Because if there's anybody worth being a bit undignified before, it's God because of what he's done. Offering, I remember one time uh, I was worshipping God and, and, uh, and we're doing that kind of We're praising God and whatnot, and I felt like God speak to me. I don't have these, it sounds very grandiose, I don't have many of these moments, but from time to time, for this kind of thought pop in my head, that's definitely not mine, and I felt like the Lord speak to me and say, Sam, I love that you worship me by giving money to me, like I see your generosity and heart, and it blesses me, and I see the way that you pour out your time. To, as a worship to me, that you want to live, where you spend your days just wanting to serve me, and I love that, and I see the way that you bring your heart and worship. Uh, so, I love, I love what you bring here. So I felt like the Lord said to me, "Sam, from time to time, a little bit of your dignity would be a great blessing to me too." And it's like, oh, calm down, God, I'm like easy tiger. So I'm like, okay, God, is that enough? You know. Uh, and you know, the kids get up here every Sunday. And they don't have any pride. They don't know that we're going, I could never do that. Because they're just, they're just going for it. And there's a sense where Jesus said, I want you to become a little bit more like those little children who don't care what other people think because you, you care what I think about towards you. And so then David returns into Samuel to his home to bless his household. And Michael comes out and says, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, going around half naked in full view of the slave girls of his servants as any vulgar fellow would. Not Pretty blunt from Michael's uh, point there. And then David has a little comeback. It was before the Lord. Who chose me rather than your father, just quietly, uh, to rule over? He says, before the Lord, and I will celebrate before the Lord, and I will become even more undignified than this. I'll be humiliated. And those slave girls you speak of, they'll be held in honor because they are in the presence of such abandon and such worship to God. This is... There's something about the presence of God where actually responding with joyful adoration and praise is an appropriate response. I'm always on the lookout for illustrations about what this kind of can look like in the modern day. And uh, there's one particular uh, video clip I'm going to play in a second uh, of this bass player called Abraham Liboreal. Now, uh, Abraham Laboreal, in fact, who remembers Ron Canole? Do you want to bring up that one, Cass? Who remembers Ron Canole? Come on. Hands up high. Come on. All right. The rest of you, shame on you. Like, you have not, Have you, you think you're a Christian? That's terrible you don't know who Ron Canole is. That's, I'm embarrassed that you're in the room. What you need to do as homework, if you're serious about following Jesus, is Google Sing Out by Ron Canoli on YouTube and watch the entirety of that worship concert, and then you can call yourself a Christian, okay? A little strong. Um, so Ron Canoli, man, just, now I grew up, as you know, in an Anglican church, and I didn't, this is before the internet time, right? So I didn't know what other churches did in terms of worship, I just knew our organ and piano and the you know, little singers we had at the Waikanae Anglican. And then one of Dad's friends dropped around this VHS of Ron Canole's Sing Out, and we popped this in the video thing, and it blew my mind. I was like, what is this? Like this? I had never seen anything like it. Now, Ron Canoli's rhythm section are the who's who of the musical world to this day. Uh, Paul Jackson Jr., who plays the guitar. He was the principal guitarist for Daft Punk's most recent album. Uh, he uh, was with the principal guitarist of Michael Jackson's Thriller album. You name it, these guys are ninjas. The clip I'm going to show you is of Abraham Laborial, the bass player. Now, he's, again, the hoo-hoo. Barbara Streisand, Dolly Parton, Leo Sayer, Herbie Hancock, Donald Fagan, Elton John, Michael Jackson, Paul Simon, Quincy Jones, Ray Charles... The reason I say all that is because he's got a reputation. And so he's somebody. And this is public, and this is getting filmed. And so if I was that guy, I would want to be pretty cool to keep my gigs and reputation intact. This is how Abraham Laboreal responds to the presence of God as he does his little bass solo for this particular song. Do you want to hit play on that, Cass? Okay, here we go, here's Abraham Laborial. All right, isn't that cool? Well, well, that's the music cast. You have pause on that, bro. That's um, I just love that because he just goes completely bananas, you know. And there's something about that undignified response that I think is just so inspiring in terms of the res- appropriate response to the presence of God. Does it? I mean, do you feel like you're waking up a little bit as I'm preaching this morning? Where it's like, honestly, we walk into church half dead and then we forget, Israel always was forgetting how good God is and how glorious he is and how worthy he is of praise. And we're the same, we keep forgetting God's nature and what he's like. These sort of moments, as we open the word of God, it's like, oh, that's who you are. You're worthy of it all. I don't care what my reputation is, I'm gonna get undignified in your presence. I'm gonna celebrate your goodness. So Jesus comes into the scene. And uh, as you would have heard Steve Graham speak about on that uh, particular lecture, one of the lenses that he gives us to see the kingdom of God is that of a wedding feast. Matthew 22 says the kingdom is like a wedding banquet prepared for his son. Now, As we think about a wedding banquet, there's a few images that come to mind. Uh, When it comes to food, it's not um, gray sludge and, uh, you know, and boredom and, like, this isn't—we can try and make the kingdom of God like this, and many people have— But the kingdom of God is a wedding banquet. It's not a place of of terrible food where you're trying to stay awake and you're you're half dead because you're bored out of your skull. That is not the image that Jesus gave us of the kingdom of God. He said it's a wedding banquet. This is a picture of me and Jen's wedding banquet. And this, I think, summarizes perfectly a great wedding banquet. A great wedding banquet is filled with joy. It's filled with eloquent speeches that crack you up but have meaning and depth and move you. It's not just a buffet with super wine and crackers and dialed down diluted raro. It's wine and food and people said, oh, you're going to be too nervous to eat well on your wedding, at your wedding reception. That was not a problem for me and Jen. I was, I was just like, keep it coming until I tell you not to stop, because it's my blinking wedding, man, and you're just going to keep that, t- you know. And not only that, when we got back to the hotel later that night, believe it or not, I actually had round two and ordered some, a whole meal from the hotel. Because I was like, hey, we're on honeymoon time, baby, let's go. <laughs> a wedding speaks of feasting and laughter and celebration and, dances and dancing and life. Randy Alcorn said celebration and gladness of heart have characterised the church, including the suffering church, throughout history. Scripturally speaking, the culture of God's people is one of joy, happiness, gratitude, eating and drinking, hallelujah, singing and dancing and making music. It is not the people who know God who have reason to be miserable, it's those who don't. We have to step up our game as a church. To be, this is why I think there's an anointing on this for this church here in the Bay. As I said last week, the Bay is a place that people come to to celebrate. Art Deco weekend, mission concerts, wineries, restaurants. You come here to engage with those things. That means I believe there is a grace on this region for those things. And as we explored last week, we're called to bring those flavors out of this region. And, and invite people into something. As I said last week, you don't tell a region, you don't change your region by saying, don't do that. You, you change a region by saying, come and experience something even more beautiful, even more real, even more glorious, even more life-giving than you've experienced over here. They're all a shadow of what God wants to give us in its fullness here. So our responsibility as a church is to be a place where it's like a wedding banquet, where we celebrate the, the, uh, the wedding of, of the Son of God with his bride, us, the church. Jesus' first miracle was this wedding at Cana, prophetically. He could, have, he could have chosen anywhere. And it wasn't like, oh, this was just a random moment. This was all God orchestrating a picture that he was trying to drive home. So Jesus' first miracle is to, to, to create 160 litres of wine for people that have run out. Come on, that's going to mess with some Baptists. I mean, it's like, and Salvation Armyites actually, and a few other denominations as well. It's like, this is Jesus' first. I don't know how you guys exegete that, John, back in the day, and uh, Pete over there. It's like, you know, but this is, good. Like, hey, here's the, and the people are like, whoa, this is top shelf. Like, this is the this is at the supermarket the stuff you don't buy that often. Now this is really this is what Jesus did. Now um ooh, lord help me uh <laughs> sorry just looking at the time. Um so I'd always pictured Jesus turning up to that banquet to that wedding f- feast being quite aloof because he was God in the flesh. You know sort of mm, god bless this party and mm. uh And just a little bit removed from the whole thing. Now this is an argument from silence, but I think it's a no-brainer that Jesus was in the thick of that celebration. Jesus danced with his disciples at that wedding. And a Jewish wedding wasn't, like our weddings are okay, a Jewish wedding is a real celebration, it goes on for days. And uh, they know how to do it well. Now again, this is a a little film clip from uh, the movie Fiddler on the Roof because this will give you a quick idea of what Jewish weddings were like. This is an Orthodox wedding, and it gives you a bit of a glimpse about what this sort of celebration was like. Isn't that cool? So Jesus is in that sort of culture, that sort of environment, and he's not on the fringes. He's in the thick of that celebrating. Jesus knew how to party. In fact, he was accused of being a glutton and a drunkard by the Pharisees because he was in those environments all the time. Now, here's the big thing that some of you younger people, it's about who's influencing who in those environments. Jesus was influencing rather than being influenced. (laughs) Okay, so some of you guys should avoid parties for a season of your life to get strong in the Lord so that you can step back into those environments and be salt and light rather than be affected yourself. Does that make sense? But, but Jesus knew who he was and knew that there was a better party to have in Jesus. And so he would go into those environments and bring life and hope and joy, and he would dance. He wasn't sitting there on the fringes looking judgmental. He was there participating in the joy of those sort of celebrations, the kingdom of God is like a wedding banquet. And so one of the flavors that God, I think, wants to bring out for us here at Bay Vineyard Church is that it would be a place of joy. So here's practically, as we come into land this morning, how we're going to outwork this on a church level, on a Bay Group level, and I want to encourage you on a personal level, okay? So on a church level, here's how we're going to outwork this. Number one, we're going to laugh at every possible opportunity we can. Is that cool? Like, we're going to take... God really seriously, but we are not going to take ourselves seriously, okay? We are going to, we're going to take every, if someone does something silly, we're going to milk it for all it's worth, Okay? If something breaks, we're going to giggle, not get stressed. We're going to, I want this to be a play again. You have freedom to have a good giggle whenever you want, okay? We're going to take God seriously, but we're not going to take ourselves seriously. The second thing we're going to do is that we're going to celebrate God's goodness at the beginning of every service by singing praise songs to Him. Now, I'm not trying to build the Kiwi culture, I'm trying to build the kingdom culture. And the Kiwi culture, you don't wake up first thing in the morning, have a coffee, you know, get to church after yelling at your wife and kicking the cat and all the kids, and then like, hey, you know. Like that's so, it's sort of counter But again, he's worthy of it. And in his presence is fullness of joy. And how do we enter into his courts? With thanksgiving and with praise in our hearts. So we can learn to celebrate God. We can learn to do a two-step and a clap. That isn't just for the kids that particular moment. It's for us boring old adults as well to learn to celebrate in the presence of God. We are in the serious business of joy. And so we need to learn to celebrate God's goodness. And get a little loose, for crying out loud. Animal noises are fine. whatever you want to do, let's clap, let's celebrate. And you know, sometimes I know that I've looked at Pentecostal outfits and I've thought, oh, that's all a bit hypey. And it's like, at worst, if it is a bit of hype, at least the kids are having fun, right? There's a whole lot of places where it's tough. But at its best, it's, a, it's an incarnation of a wedding banquet where you've got the proclaimers going full noise and you're dancing along to it, you know, whatever it may be. So let's celebrate well as we start. Third thing is let's enjoy meals together as often as we can. That was great doing the big feed, one of the things that we want to do around that time of the, um, say, like on the um, the bless the bay Sunday, well, the idea is let's get together somewhere at five o'clock that day and have a big shared fish and chip thing together somewhere. Um, let's we're going to do a big feed again in term three sometime, just because we can. Let's just get together and have a really good banquet together, turn on some good music, enjoy some good food, and celebrate together by taking, again, those Old Testament commandments to eat and drink really seriously, okay? Amen? Amen. Come on. <laughs> and the last thing, and this is going to push it for some of you guys, and so this is for the hardcore, okay, those that are really feeling like the Lord's yesterday and in your spirit, what I would love us to do is to get a bit silly at the offering time, 2 Corinthians 9 verse 7, which is our key text for our offering, is this. Don't give reluctantly or under compulsion. I love that straight away. There's no pressure. There's no arm twisting going on. So not reluctantly. Don't, don't bother if it's reluctantly or under compulsion because you're motivated by Sam's, or not motivated by Sam's rent or whatever it may be. But give with joy in your heart because God loves a cheerful giver. It's more accurate to say God loves a hilarious giver. Now this is radically countercultural. This is really pushing against the indoctrination that we swim in of consumerism, hold on to it, it's about you, you'll, be, you'll have less if you give, blah, blah, blah what we're doing is rebelling against that greed and rebelling against that self-centeredness and saying, I'm going to do something stupid as far as the world's concerned and give my money to Jesus and I'm going to do it with a hilarious heart. So practically, what, from now on, I'm going to say, we're now going to take up our offering. At, yeah. At that moment, animal noises, clapping, cheering, whatever you want to do. Now, listen. Listen. Feelings make great servants but terrible masters. So even if you don't feel like it, you can still celebrate as you give. Sometimes you've got to walk by faith, not by sight. In spite of what your emotions and your senses say, you choose to celebrate anyway. But after in marriage counseling, I will often say this. uh, When people have been struggling in their marriage, I'll sit down with a guy and I'll be like, well, tell me what you did when you fell in love. Oh, I'll buy flowers or write little notes or, you know, all that kind of... And I'm like, okay, what I'd like you to do is start buying some flowers and writing the notes, even though nothing in you feels like doing it. And then most of the time, what happens is people start doing that. After a month or so, where wife is like, whoa, what's happening here? You know. Uh, often the emotions and the senses start following that choice. A month or so later, you start going, actually, I want to buy the flowers. There's oh, a bit of plane kite coming out here. <laughs> Hypocrite, hypocrite in transition, <laughs> just, just for the record. <laughs> oh, it's terrible having wifey in the front row sometimes. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so back to the point, uh, as we take up our offering, we're going to choose, sometimes it's going to be a choice. And sometimes it's going to, but in time, I think we're going to start feeling it. It's like, yeah, I get to participate in the kingdom of God. Yes, I get to worship you in the most, in the most probably the hardest way possible. Real sacrifice. I'm going to, so that, I'm looking forward to this. Now, next week, we've got my friend Joseph McCauley from Tauranga coming to speak. And their church is, um, is, uh, is a little more liturgical probably than ours. Let's freak him out. I'd just love to give him a real fright next week. It would, again, it would really make my day. So like, even if you're just doing it for a giggle, uh, do that, okay? So as a church, that's how we're going to do this. We're going to uh, we're gonna be, just create this culture of joy. We aren't going to pretend that life is always sweet. We aren't going to play. I talked all about this last week. We're going to keep real about the hardship of life, but God hasn't changed And there's nothing more radical than in the midst of our suffering to still say, I will praise you, God. I will worship you, God. I will celebrate who you are. It's a very, very bold step of faith. And so the tougher things are, the the greater faith it requires, but the more it blesses God. What an amazing thought. The second area in Bay Groups. Bay Group leaders, I want you to find any excuse you can to celebrate and to do it Really well. For example, in our previous church in Christchurch, we had our group of section leaders, and uh, one time Zane, who uh, was a guy who was in his mid sixties, came along, and we said, "Oh, you know, you know, how's your day, Zane?" He said, "Oh, um, mate, I told my job, I told my boss that I'm quitting today because I'm going to retire," and we were just like, "You what? Like that's huge!" And we're like, "Meeting's (laughs) cancelled. top shelf, kink, 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 like rustle around the cupboards and we had a spontaneous party to celebrate Zane's retirement and it was just the best night ever. We just celebrated the fact that Zane was retiring and so Bay group leaders, that sort of thing's awesome. If you can find a reason to celebrate, can you please do it? We live in a world that's too depressed, too lame sometimes and we want to lean into this culture of joy. So find any excuse and lastly, for you, for personally, for you guys, cultivate the soil of joy in your life so that the fruit of the spirit of joy can grow. And what I mean by that is find places of joy and do everything you can to linger in those moments of joy. For example, I love Hamish and Andy, the comedic radio duo from Australia. Fantastic. So I listen to their podcast because it's clean and it's, It's just hilarious. They're really funny. And there's no rubbish pop music. Um, You know, it's just brilliant. So many times I've, I've felt like, oh, you know, in my car, I shouldn't be listening to Hamish and Andy, I should be listening to Tim Keller or Hillsong or, you know, something spiritual. And I've said this before, but I remember this time I was driving along the road and I felt like, again, very rare, but occasionally happens where God say, I want you to listen to Hamish and Andy more, not less. And I want you to linger in places of joy as much as you can so that it doesn't become the exception, but it becomes easily, increasingly, your predominant experience rather than the exception. That I would cultivate soil of joy in my heart. God gives you permission to laugh. God gives you permission to find whatever it is that causes you to giggle and to cultivate that, linger in those places, suck the life out of it as much as you can because that's allowing the soil to to be such that the fruit of joy can grow and get healthy. It's severely depleted in most Christians. It's severely depleted. God wants you to linger in places of joy as much as you can. The second thing I would like you to do, uh, again, as a personal challenge, is to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This, for any counsellor in the room, is what we call cognitive behavioural therapy, training your brain to think differently. And so sometimes we need truth coaches that speak truth over our life about our circumstances. I am not a victim of my external circumstances. I can still experience joy because of who God is and what He's done in my heart. We can look at the New Testament and see, in the midst of great suffering, imprisonment, beatings, all the rest of it, that they could still be a people of joy. Paul, in particular, in those environments, so he could still cultivate joy. No one can rob that from you. If you, let, you know, no one can. You can let people rob you. But ultimately, if you choose to walk in this, you can be a person who's filled with joy. So we need to change the way that we think. We need to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And that practically means that we need to find truth coaches, statements of truth, biblical truth, that we can speak over our circumstances and our mind. I've had to train myself to do this many, many times. And again, putting yourself in an environment, giving yourself permission to laugh is a good start. You know, if it's Mr. Bean, great. Whatever, man. Like, if it's Lewis Litt suits, fantastic. Whatever causes you to have a giggle, then just linger in those places as much as you can because it cultivates the soil of joy in your lives. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind.